All right, so we're in week number three of our Leadership Principles for Men series. John, so far we've covered Moses. We've talked about Joshua. Today's character, today's guy is another Old Testament, you know, a man from the Old Testament, but maybe it's going to be a little bit less known to some of our listeners because today we're going to talk about Jonathan. Now, a lot of people know Moses, a lot of people know Joshua, but Jonathan was a guy that is maybe most most known for his relationship with a very famous guy from the from the Bible, David. But why did we pick Jonathan, and, and what's this whole thing going to be about? Yeah, so for those of you that aren't familiar with Jonathan, he's the son of King Saul. Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. And one of the things that I love about Jonathan is he earned trust throughout his relationship with those that he led, with, with his friends like David. Jonathan was a man's man. This was a guy who didn't rest on the laurels of being the king's son. This is a guy who took risks. Uh, this is a guy who went to war, literally. Uh, this is a guy who stood on principle, even though it affected uh, his ability to become king of Israel one day. And so there's just so much to love about Jonathan. He's actually one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I wish we knew a little more about him and had more stories because I think he's the kind of guy that we would all love to hang out with and all love to to have lead us. Well, and as we unpack Jonathan's story, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to start with chapter 14 today. And the first thing, John, that we learn about Jonathan is that he communicated well. So as even as I read this, I want our listeners to really listen for how Jonathan is communicating, even in some cases over-communicating, because that really is a leadership quality that today is just as important as it was, you know, 3,000 years ago. So here we are, 1 Samuel 14, starting at verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. So again, his father is Saul. Saul's the king. It says that, Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron, among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, who had served at Shiloh. And no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. I can tell why you're having me read this, by the way, John, because there's a lot lot of big words here. Okay, verse five. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. He said, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. He said this to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. The armor bearer said, do what you think is best. I'm completely with you, whatever you decide, which is a sign of a good leader, by the way, that he's got an armor bearer that's so committed to him. All right, Jonathan told him, we'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we're not going to go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. And then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb up right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Verse 13, so they climbed up using both hands and feet 
And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. John, what can we pull out of this for leadership tips for men today? There is so much in just this passage and very, very practical stuff. I think in this series that we're doing, we may find some of the most practical steps for good leadership. And the first one is all about communication. You mentioned it earlier, Brian. Jonathan communicates very clearly, very specifically to his armor bearer about what his plans are. He didn't have to do this. In that culture, your armor bearer was not just a soldier, really. He was a servant. He was kind of your personal servant, went with you everywhere. Nobody in the world would have reprimanded Jonathan for keeping his plans to himself. Nobody would have said, hey, you need to communicate more to your armor bearer. And he communicates it in a way that gave his armor bearer a chance to respond. You can tell that Jonathan is looking for feedback. So Jonathan has created an environment with his armor bearer where his armor bearer feels safe giving feedback. So that's a good question to ask ourselves as leaders, you know, in our home, in our churches, in our, in our workplace. Do we seek feedback on a regular basis from those that we lead? Have we created an environment where people are unafraid to ask questions if they don't have clarity on what we want them to do? Or have we created an environment where people feel like, you know, hey, it's my way or the highway type of leadership style? So I, I love the fact that the arm, armor bearer felt comfortable giving a response. And, and Jonathan, in fact, was inviting that response. And you notice Jonathan gives very clear instructions about what he's proposing. Now, he isn't quite sure of the battle plan at the beginning because he's not 100% sure yet that the Lord is with them, that the Lord wants them to go up. So he kind of has this test where he says, you know, if they say this, we'll just stay here. But if they say this, then we know that the Lord is going to be with us. So he knows that it's the Lord who's going to give them victory if they engage with the enemy. I love the fact that Jonathan isn't worried about the numbers. He doesn't care about the odds. He knows the Lord can win a battle whether he has many warriors or few. That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's just such a great reminder to us. And I think, Brian, you and I can probably relate to this, and I'm sure many of our listeners can, but you and I live and, and minister in an area where there's a relatively small percentage of people who practice biblical Christianity. So if you and I just get caught looking at the numbers, it can be really discouraging. It can be really daunting. But God is mighty, and he can win the battle, whether with many soldiers or with few. And then to me, the most encouraging part of this story, the, the thing that kind of gets my juices flowing as a dad and as a husband, is the way the armor bearer responds to Jonathan's instructions. Do whatever you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. And the translation that I grew up with as a kid reading, I, I, I memorized it. The armor bearer says, do whatever you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. Man, that is a leader who has led well. That is a leader who has earned trust during the course of that relationship. Can you imagine, men, if, if you were given kind of the direction for your family, what God had put on your heart and your wife and your kids say, Dad, you do whatever you have in mind. We're with you heart and soul. Wow, what a powerful testimony that would be to your leadership. 
you know, if your kids and wife would say, we may not always agree or we may not always understand why you're taking the direction that you're taking, but we know you love us. We know you love God. We know that you're genuinely making decisions that you think are best for us. So we're with you, heart and soul. See, the armor bearer had to obey Jonathan. This wasn't really like he had a choice. Again, he's Jonathan's servant. But you can tell from this response that there's so much more going on here in this relationship between Jonathan and his armor bearer. He didn't just say, you know, yes, sir. No, he said, I'm with you completely. I'm all in. Maybe as you hear that, it it brings to mind a leader that you've had in your life. You know, you've been blessed to be led by an individual like that. I, I know I've been blessed to have a handful of men in my life that I would say, hey, do whatever you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. You want to climb those cliffs? You want to go fight those guys who outnumber us? Let's do it. You know, my my father-in-law was a man that I would go into battle with. Um, he he was that kind of man. Like if he said, "Hey, we're going to go do this, and it's going to be crazy," I would say, "Let's do it." I'm with you, heart and soul. Um, the members of our of our key leadership team at our church, you know, which Pastor Brian is a part of, they're not perfect. They make mistakes like the rest of us, but all of those men have earned my trust. I know they're trying to honor God and their decisions and do what's best for the flock, and I I would follow them anywhere. Wherever they wanted to go, I would say, hey, you do what you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. And I think as we talk about communication, you know, verses 8 and 9, look how clearly Jonathan communicates the plan. He says, hey, this is exactly what we're going to do. And if they respond a certain way, this is what we're going to do. If not, you know, we'll go this other way. And so it's just a great reminder that we need to fight for clarity. And O'Brien, as you've led a lot of our meetings over the years, that's something I've always appreciated about you, that you want to make sure everybody is clear on where we're going. And I think that's super important for good leaders. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that. I, I, you, I think you kind of alluded to this. You don't have to have perfect maybe a perfect plan to really fight for clarity. I mean, go back and read this. I encourage our listeners to go back and read this and just notice how Jonathan, you know, my dad used to say this all the time. We we did an episode on this a few months back, make a decision and make it work. He, Jonathan was making a decision, but even in the decisions he's making, he's like, look, here, this, this might happen and this might happen over here and let's have some contingencies. Like there's you know, I'm not going to even just the fact that he he was still he wanted to make sure that he was wasn't going out in front of God, that he was really following God in his direction. So he had clarity on on kind of the big picture, but he even some of the details as we read this text, even some of the details, he's still there's still a little bit of flexibility in the details. And I think that's a good example for us today that you can be a clear leader even though some of the details might be a little bit fuzzy on on your strategy for pulling it off. I don't know. However, however, guys need to apply that right now to their leadership at work or at church or at home or, or whatever. I think that's so good. We don't want to be so rigid in our approach. Um, like you said, John, he, Jonathan was asking for feedback. He was open to feedback. And I bet you if his armor bearer would have pushed back on some things here or there, Maybe Jonathan, I'm sure Jonathan was the kind of leader that would have rethought it and taken that input and changed his plans. But um, I, I think it's such a great example of how to lead with clarity, even though it's a, it's a moving, sometimes it's a little bit of a moving target because life is just never that black and white. 
And so, so many people get paralysis by analysis. They're, they're just, they're afraid to pull the trigger, but we're going to see here that Jonathan's not afraid. Yeah, Jonathan is definitely not afraid. He trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord's strength and power. And when it's time to go, Jonathan is in front. That's another thing I love. Again, that's one of my favorite stories, right? When it's time to go up the cliff, he didn't put the armor bearer in front of him. He wasn't like, hey, brother, you're going to be my human shield on this one. You're, you're going up first, and you're going to take the first arrow. No, Jonathan was in front. So he's not asking his armor bearer to go anywhere that he's not willing to go first. We can talk a lot about pursuing God in our home with our wife and our kids. You know, we can talk about doing the right thing at work. We can talk about leading well at church, but we can only talk so much. If we're not willing to go there ourselves, you know, if we're not willing to really walk the walk, so to speak, it's going to get, it's going to get tough for people to follow us. I, I actually watched a documentary on this this story in the Bible several years ago, and they were in the actual location of this battle. And so they were filming around in the cliff that Jonathan and his armor bearer had to climb just to get to the Philistines was brutal. There were a lot of points on it where literally you had to have you know three points of contact on the wall. You had to have both feet and one hand down as you're reaching for the next handhold. So they, they have to go through that just to get there. And then when they finally get to the top, you know, they got to fight. And, and these two are some bad men. And we don't know how old the armor bearer was. He was likely a young teen. And these two guys kill over 20 men. So these are some guys that, you know, you didn't want to mess with when the Lord was on their side. Yeah, let's go back to the text because there's more to the story. And this shows us that great leaders know the appropriate time to take a risk. Verse 15, it says, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. Remember, it's just two guys coming. It's just Jonathan and his, and his armor bearer, right? And then and they, they, they kill 20 of these Philistines, and now everyone breaks out in a panic. And just then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Clearly, God is on their side here. And it says in verse 16 that Saul's look, lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. And Saul said, call the roll and find out who's missing. And when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. So Saul didn't even know about this stuff, if you remember. Then Saul shouted to Ahijah, bring the ephod here, the priestly garment. For at that time, Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, never mind, let's get going. And then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines run away running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-Avon. So to set a little context for this battle that we've been looking at, Saul had actually just lost quite a few soldiers. If, if we were to back up a couple of chapters, we would see that, that the Israelite army is in a tough position. 
Uh, they're in a vulnerable position. They're outnumbered. They'd kind of been in a stalemate with the Philistines for a while. In fact, morale was so low that some of the Hebrew men were defecting to the enemy. And, and you get a sense that Jonathan knew it was a critical time and that it was time to take a risk. It was time to step out in faith. And this first skirmish where Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men, it becomes the catalyst for a rally and a victory. And God is clearly involved. One of the things that happens is he creates an earthquake. He causes panic in the camp. The Philistines actually begin fighting one another. Most of the casualties from the battle, aside from the first 20 that Jonathan and his armor bearer inflict, are actually because the enemy begins fighting one another. And then we read here that there were Israelites who had defected over to the enemy camp. Once this all starts happening, they turn back and they begin fighting for Israel. And, and maybe you've had to take a risk as a leader. I, I, think this is, I think this is instructional for us that this was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. Jonathan didn't move forward until he was confident the Lord was with him. So we're not talking about just taking foolish risks, although I would say sometimes God calls us to go against the world's wisdom, like we saw last week when we studied Joshua's leadership. So listeners, you know, men, where is God calling you to take a risk? And, and if you feel like God is calling you to take a risk, do you have believers in your life that you can bounce the idea off of, like Jonathan bounced the idea off with his armor bearer? Again, Jonathan didn't ask, uh, act alone. You know, he sought input. See, so often there are others who will join us if somebody will just take the first step. I, th I think of those men who are hiding in the hill country, who were scared, who were you know, being cowardly, just to be honest, and they just needed someone to lead them. They just needed someone to take that first step. And then once they saw that they were willing to jump in, I, I think of the scene in Braveheart, which is one of my favorite movies, but it's, it's the scene where William Wallace meets with Robert the Bruce the first time. So this is before Robert the Bruce has betrayed him. And Robert the Bruce says, we need the nobles. And William Wallace goes, do we now? And he said, yeah, we do. And so Wallace says, well, tell me, what does that mean to be noble? He says, your title gives you claim to the throne of our country, but men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Now, our people know you, noble and common, and they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they would follow you. And so would I. Now, I, I do not have a good Scottish accent, so that's why I didn't even try as I was reading that. But <laughs> if you've seen that scene, you can just feel the, the courage and the, and the motivation and, and just the masculinity build up in Robert the Bruce. When William Wallace, right, this great warrior says, hey, if you would lead, I would follow you. You know, it, it sometimes just takes that first step of courage, that that first catalytic move for you and I to be men and to step out and do something a little risky for many, many people to join in and be a part of it. And obviously we're not called to climb a hill, you know, hand over foot and, and fight 20 guys with a sword. I'm not talking about that kind of calling. It could be something as simple as, as sharing the gospel with a stranger. I, I think of a young boy at one of our campuses who's been leading a small group since he was in fifth grade. And we were just talking with one of our other pastors last week about how this young boy 
has been leading this small group in a park during the summer. And, and every time he's there, if there are other kids in the park, he just goes up to them, doesn't know them from Adam, complete strangers, and says, hey, we're doing a Bible study. Do you want to join us? Now, as you would probably imagine, they pretty much always decline. And when they do, he just says, hey, no problem. If you change your mind, we'll be right over here. Man, that's, that's courageous. Like that's a young man that people are going to follow because he's going to keep doing things like that. And it's going to create movements like God is going to build his kingdom through young men like that. And so I would just encourage the dads and the husbands that are listening today, if God is calling you to take a step and it, it may be scary and it may seem small, but, but take it, you know, step out in faith, take that risk and see what kind of people fall in and start to follow. Cause I bet you whether it's your kids or whether it's your wife, I bet you there are people in your life that they're thinking, man, I would follow this guy if he would just step up and lead. You know, John, this whole story makes me think about Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. I mean, clearly, Jonathan, and I think less so his dad, Saul, but I think Jonathan even set an example for his dad that that these two guys go out and start this whole this whole chain of events that clearly shows that like Jonathan said at the beginning of, of chapter 14, that this God is with them. And really it wasn't their power or their strength. Clearly it was God. Yeah. It may seem like a risk. You know, if you, if something is stirring in you and you're like, you know what, God has been calling me to step out. God has been calling me to take this risk. I know it, I know it seems risky, but the reality is, man, when God is moving, when God's the one who's called us to it, the real risk is not doing it. There's no risk in stepping out in faith when God has called us to step out because God is always faithful. Now, God may have a different ending in mind even than we have. You know, God's definition of success uh, may be different than our definition of success when he calls us to step out. But if he calls us to step out, he's going to accomplish his purposes. And when we don't step out, it really keeps us from seeing him at work. It robs us of that faith milestone where we get to see God do something that is God-sized. I tell people all the time, if you want your faith to grow, you've got to exercise it. It's not going to grow if you don't ever exercise it. If you don't take a chance, if you don't say, well, God, I'm not sure how this is going to pan out, but I... I really sense you calling me to do this. If you don't ever step out and let God show you his faithfulness, your faith's going to stay relatively small. Uh, you, you might have a what I would call a head faith. You might have a lot of knowledge, but your trust in God's goodness is going to stay relatively small if you don't ever give him opportunities to show up and do what only he can do. You know, John, there's one at least one more lesson that we can learn from Jonathan, and it it has to do with his ability to choose principle over position, which I think is so relatable today for men, you know, in the world and, you know, maybe in the business world and leadership or even in churches. Jonathan was, as you said, he was next in line to be king of Israel. He was, he was the king Saul's son and he wanted to obey God. He wanted, he wanted what was best for the nation, even if it meant going against his dad, even if, even if it meant sacrificing position, his own position, because, you know, spoiler alert for people who don't know the story, Jonathan didn't end up becoming the next king. David became the next king. 
and Jonathan was committed to David. So he had this incredible ability to model putting principle over position. We see that in 1 Samuel 18. It says in verse 1 there that after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them because Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And so we see this, you know, again, an insecure leader would have looked at David and would have said, he's a threat to me. He could, he could be my, he could replace me, which he did. David did, but Jonathan wasn't insecure. Jonathan just, he loved David. Jonathan acted out almost completely opposite from the way his father Saul acted out. You know, we're, we're doing this series, Leadership Principles for Men. If we ever did the What Not to Do series, Saul would definitely be one of our character studies. Mm-hmm. He he made a lot of mistakes. Um, I I have to feel like Jonathan and David looked at each other and they were like, you know, you're my brother from another mother, right? Like you, you are just like me. They they're both young men. They're both warriors. They've both taken great risks. So this interaction between David and Jonathan is shortly after David has killed Goliath. So, you know, they've both gone out in a limb. They've both trusted God and his goodness and his power. They both want to see God glorified. They both want to see, you know, the nation of Israel in, it, in its rightful place in the promised land. And so they have this super tight bond right from the start. And they make some promises to one another. And as you, as you just pointed out, Brian, like Jonathan takes off his robe, gives it to David, takes off his tunic, his sword. I mean, these are just things that royalty didn't do to a common person. This is so out of character, and it just is such a reminder of how secure Jonathan was in his identity. Jonathan knew who he was. Jonathan knew who his God was. Now, I don't, I don't think Scripture tells us that Jonathan knew at this point David would one day be king. I think that happens a little bit later. But, but Jonathan is completely comfortable treating David like royalty. I mean, that's really what he does here. He gives him the royal robe. He gives him the royal tunic and sword, et cetera, uh, because he's grateful for what David has done for the nation of Israel. So he's not, he's not threatened at all. So you know, that's a great question for us to ask ourselves as leaders. Do we find we feel threatened when other good leaders are around? I'll, I'll confess, that's, that's how I used to feel. I think I've grown a lot in that area. I love being surrounded by other men who are good leaders, especially by men who have a different leadership style than me. And, you know, we just, we just left some meetings, Brian, where we had men in the room that are really good leaders. We had lots of good leaders in that room and not all those guys lead like I do. And that's really helpful for me. That's a blessing for me to learn from their leadership styles and to incorporate some of the things they do well into the way that I lead. Yeah. And that takes a secure leader, you know, insecurity leads to, and a men, men, you need to hear this in, if you're not willing to admit your insecurities and you'll never, you, then you'll be a leader more like Saul than like Jonathan. In fact, let's skip forward to 1 Samuel 19 as this saga between Saul and David and then how Jonathan fits into it continues. It says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told 
told him what his father was planning. He said, tomorrow morning, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. And then I'll tell, I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. He, he said, the king must not sin against his servant, David. He's, he's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in, in any way that he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So we see Jonathan is really going to bat for, for his boy, David. Verse 6 says, so Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that Jonathan did a great job at earning trust. Here's just another example of that. You know, here Jonathan is earning more trust with David. Jonathan, you know, let's not forget the context of this, guys. Jonathan would have been the next king of Israel. David was a threat to that. Like, I mean, literally, he, he's the Lord's anointed. He's going to take that opportunity away from Jonathan. The people were already singing songs that Saul had slain thousands, but David had slain his tens of thousands. And in spite of all that backdrop, Jonathan continues to earn trust. The other thing I see is that Jonathan acted as a peacemaker between David and Saul. And at least early on, he had some success. Now, we're going to see later on in the story that, that nobody can create peace between Saul and David. Saul just has it in his heart that he's got to get rid of him. But I do think that's a role we're called to as leaders, probably more often than we recognize, is to be peacemakers. You know, as leaders, we should take the initiative to help relationships be reconciled. So whether that's in your family, whether that's your organization, your church, you know, our, our teams, our companies, our families all function better when relationships are healthy. And if you and I are leaders, then we should take the lead in that. You know, one of our core values at our church is we work hard at healthy relationships. And, and if you're going to be a leader in our church, we're going to expect you to lead in that core value. Like you need to be a peacemaker. And this took a lot of courage that this was not without substantial risk. I mean, Jonathan reprimands the king. Even though that's his dad, that still carries risk. Saul could have had him killed. Saul could have said that's treasonous. But Jonathan is willing to step out and, and go to bat for David. Yeah, let's go back to the text. Chapter 20, Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want David to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? Wait, wait a second. He just shamed the guy's mother. He just called her a whore. Anyway, it says in verse 31, as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. And, and Jonathan said, but, but why should he be put to death? What has he done? And Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. And Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father, his father's shameful behavior toward David. I mean, John, we see again just this incredible contrast between an insecure guy, Saul, and his son who knew who he was and, and was willing to put principle over position. Jonathan wanted what was best for the nation of Israel, and he knew that it was silly to fight against God's anointed one. So at, at this point, if you, if you read the whole story, it's clear that Jonathan knows that David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Uh, there's a part where he 
talks about uh, a commitment he makes to David and he prays that that God would be with David as he once was with his father. So he recognizes that that Saul is no longer God's anointed one to lead the nation of Israel. And this is a reminder to me and, and all of our listeners, you know, sometimes doing the right thing puts us in danger. Jonathan's loyalty to David literally almost got him killed. His dad tried to throw a spear. So it causes this great tear in the relationship that he has with his father. So if his dad was successful in getting rid of David, you think Jonathan still had a shot to be the next king of Israel? I would say absolutely not. Saul was going to look him over for probably another one of his sons. I mean, this, like this, was, this was a big deal for Jonathan. Then when Jonathan reports to David that his dad does still intend to, ki- to kill him, yeah, he says, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. So Jonathan recognizes God's plan and he doesn't try to fight against it, even though it means he will not be king. And I think the principle behind that is that great leaders put the needs of those they're leading above their own needs. You know, so selfishly, Jonathan should have thought or, or would have thought if he was selfish, whatever it takes for me to be the next king, because that's what's best for me, that's what I'm going to do. But no, Jonathan wanted to put the needs of the nation of Israel and the needs of his good friend David above his own needs. So John, for our men who are listening, really trying to wrap their mind around Jonathan's story and what we can take away, you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of us, most of us, aren't going to really be called to take a risk. I mean, at, at the level that Jonathan did, like you said, he's a man's man and man, what a stud. What's the, what's the takeaway for, for men today who live maybe a little bit less exciting and dangerous lives? Well, even though we aren't going to be called to take those kind of risks, I do believe God's going to call all of us to take a risk from time to time. He's going to call us to step out in faith. So that's that's a takeaway. The other takeaway is, are we looking for opportunities to earn trust from those we lead? Every, you know, we one of our basic principles when we do marriage counseling at our church is that trust is earned, not freely given. And we talk about how we need to be looking for opportunities on a daily basis to earn trust. And it's the same in our leadership. There's a couple ways that we can do that. One is just do what you say you're going to do. If you tell your team you're going to do something, follow through and do it. That's a way to earn trust. Obviously, being honest in your communication is a way to earn trust. Effectively communicating. You know, we talked about over-communication and, and communicating with clarity. That is a practical way to earn trust with those that you're leading. And then I would probably wrap up with don't ask the people you're leading to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, that you're not modeling. If you're not pursuing God full circle, it's going to be tough to expect the people you're leading to pursue God full circle. So men, that's what you needed to know about Jonathan. Go lead like him. What a great example for us. Again, this is week number three in our Leadership Principles for Men series. You can find all of it online, pursuegod.org forward slash men.